Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. One last solo run for the pods. We have our last tiers pod right here. So these are tiers six and seven that we're going to be going through tonight. If you haven't had a chance to listen to either tiers one through three or tiers four and five, please do so. They are available on all of our platforms wherever you get your podcast apple podcast spotify youtube please subscribe we appreciate the support maybe leave some reviews on some on those pods as well let us know some thoughts about where i have guys and and definitely keep interacting with us on twitter as well at draft deeper if you haven't definitely give us a follow over there we are on our march to 1000 followers by the draft and we're we're pretty close last time i looked we were at 842 so definitely Keep giving us support. Keep having conversations with us over there. That being said, though, let's jump right in. So tiers six and seven, we are at the back end of prospects that I wanted to evaluate for the 2021 NBA draft. Tier six are basically some back end second round guys, and some of these guys are likely going to be undrafted free agent targets. Guys that I see more of like ninth to tenth men on a team's rotation right on a team's rotation team's team right now and then tier seven are kind of like my quote-unquote honorable mentions that i will run through very quickly i won't go as in depth with the tier seven guys as i have been for tiers one through five and then some of the discussion we'll get into for tier six i'll just run through those guys pretty quickly wrap it up and then that will be it for the 2021 draft deeper tiers i had a conversation with somebody earlier today who was looking over um, their their previous big boards and some of their preseason rankings and early season rankings and I'd like to wait to put something like this together till the the near, near the end of the evaluation process because there are changes that happen all throughout the year and I kind of want to have all of my ducks in a row and, and be sorting guys into these tiers based on complete evaluations right like have I had the chance to actually Um, give complete grades to these guys have I seen everything that I want to see and have I looked at all the numbers I want to look at etc not just blindly sort of ranking players or whatever word you want to throw in there so um, I'm happy to be able to wrap this up and then once we're done here with the tears podcast then we're going to have a few more guests on before the draft to to go through some cool and exciting topics including a, a GM style mock draft and then we will we will be at the 2021 NBA draft and we'll definitely be doing a live stream on Twitch again this year like we did last year. So keep an eye out for some details regarding that. I, th- I think we're, we're going to have something pretty exciting lined up with some cool guests. So definitely stay tuned for that. So tier six, again, like with the other podcasts, these guys are listed out. I am going through them as they are on my spreadsheet. These are not ranked within the tiers. So we're going to start out with Austin Reeves, Oklahoma guard, definitely put on a good showing at the NBA draft combine. He's He's been a guy that's sort of been in like top 40, top 50 ranges on a lot of boards that I've seen on social media. Um, hasn't necessarily gone higher than that, but somebody who I think the, the majority have come to is someone who deserves to, to be drafted. And I think I'm pretty much in that camp as well. Um, He did average 18 points per game this past year for Oklahoma, almost six rebounds, five assists per game, 44% from the field, 86.5% from the free throw line. Love those marks. 
some of my concerns with him really come into play regarding his shooting touch around the basket, as well as he hasn't necessarily been consistent through his career from three-point range. He only shot at about close to 31% from the three-point line this past year, and then he also had three turnovers per game as well, trying to be more of a heavy playmaker for that Oklahoma team. Now, Austin Reeves is somebody who can definitely play in the pick-and-roll. Right, If he comes in as a backup point guard for a unit, he's not going to be lost within those sets. He's an experienced playmaker and knows what he's doing out of more designed offense, but I wouldn't necessarily call him a freelance passer or, or a freelance playmaker by any means. Um, he does have a very solid understanding of the game at this point because of his experience. And when we look at a lot of guys in this Tier 6 that I have here, a lot of these guys are seniors. Um, a few of them are juniors. Basically, when when you get to the point of evaluating a senior prospect, obviously I'm not going to say that anybody can't get better in the NBA, but by all means, they absolutely can. But usually, when, you, when you're evaluating someone who's like 22, 23 years old, they're, they're close to what they're probably going to end up being in the NBA, right? Like maybe they can make a few adjustments or tweaks to certain parts of their game here and there, but for the most part, you'd expect their NBA production to look close to or equivalent to um, the level that they were able to play at in college. And if you have any concerns about getting similar production out of that prospect, then maybe you aren't looking to actually draft them or spend a second-round pick on them, or in some cases, even a first-round pick. I mean, we have, we have some seniors and older players among guys in some of our top tiers as well, guys like Corey Kispert, Chris Duarte, etc. So... Um, generally, you want to know what you're getting with these guys. And, and it comes back to just, again, some of the questions I have about Austin Reeves offensively. Um, generally, he's really good besides playing out of pick and roll in terms of his scoring efficiency. He's pretty good in the mid-range. Um, really likes to go to some of that crafty mid-range pull-up game. And again, we saw that on display at the Combine. But when you get him closer to the basket, he doesn't necessarily have an elite finishing package he doesn't shoot it at an elite rate around the rim i wouldn't say that his floater game or his runner game is anything necessarily spectacular either um the the one thing that i will say that intrigues me and a big reason why i think he should be drafted out of his uh, outside of his expertise and his comfort within the pick and roll game is he did rate out in the 87th percentile in, in total defense this past year for oklahoma he is a feisty competitive guard and i i personally like rooting for for older experienced feisty type guards like that i think they definitely bring competitive edge and it's something that you should absolutely look to have off of your bench running a second unit so i think that definitely gives him a leg up in some conversations but i just question how many of those same shots he's going to be able to hit in the nba game and if he's really put into a position where he's not able to play out of more designed offense. What well, what does that look like, right? Like like did we see enough of those moments in college to definitely say that he's like a top 40 guy in this year's draft class? Um he he did have some really good moments for Oklahoma in this past tournament, but I'm looking at an overall body of work. What have you shown me that you can do and, and what reasons have you given me to believe that you're going to be giving a similar or, or nearly identical output in the NBA? And I'm personally not quite there with Austin Reeves. I know there's plenty of fans of his um, all across the draft landscape that would probably take him higher than I would. 
but I would rather I would rather make a bet on somebody like a Quentin Grimes, for example, than 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 like an Austin Reeves. I think Austin Reeves is a fine player. I think he's definitely going to get drafted. I just question how high, and that's sort of why I have him in this tier six, which again is back end rotation type players, maybe like a ninth man. Not not in like my guaranteed like like seven or eight or, or maybe even like a six man type guy. That's where I have Austin Reeves. Chris Smith, UCLA forward. Um his, his measurements, he measures in somewhere between six eight, six nine. I've definitely seen um different takes on on what his actual height, weight, and then wingspan are. But he was, I think he was really robbed of an opportunity this past season because he had some injury concerns. I think he would have had a dynamite year, particularly shooting the basketball. And I'll get, I'll get more into that now. Um, in the eight games that he was able to play in for UCLA this year, he did um, shoot the ball f- almost 44% from the field, 50% from three, 79% from the free throw line. So all of his basic shooting metrics um, d- definitely warrant that. But his catch and shoot game, the 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 catch and shoot looks he did get, he was in the 100th percentile, shooting almost 56% on those shots. He was in the 99th percentile on what synergy would deem long shots. So anything greater than than 17 feet, he shot almost 53% on those jumpers. Um, and he also showed some comfort level out of the pick and roll game and and different isolation sets, including passes as well. So he's not immune to to passing the basketball or looking to make others better around him. I think there's two areas that he has been deficient in that I think he could have helped himself in should he, uh, had he played for the entire season would be defensively. He was only in the 30th percentile. He has good length to him, good size to play out in the wing. But I question if he can handle bigger matchups. And then what does he look like if he has to defend some of these smaller guards in space? Can he definitely switch down to like a two or a one and keep them in front of him effectively? I question some of his lateral mobility at times. And then from a scoring standpoint, he's never really rated out well shooting off of the dribble or creating his own shots. Now, I think that going back and watching some of the film from those eight games, I think he's definitely made improvements there that he just didn't get to showcase across a larger body of work. But that being said, anything that I would have seen from those eight games is obviously a really small sample size. So I don't I don't have that much to make further judgment on. Did he make enough improvements here to the point where I can say that he's going to reliably be able to create his own shot like we've been sort of projecting him to be able to do at the next level. Usually when you hear people who are high on Chris Smith, they're taking into account that he's pretty much fixed those warts and he could be a dynamic scoring forward at the NBA level. I'm not as confident in that case, and that's why I would have him in this tier six. Otherwise, if I did have a better comfort level there, he could have been um, in, in like a tier five somebody who I can see as like a seventh or ninth man on a team for sure. Maybe would have a case to push up as like the team's first forward off of their bench, but I don't have that comfort level right now. So I'm going to leave him here. David Duke guard out of Providence, six, five guard, really good counting stats. Average almost 17 points per game, six rebounds, almost five, uh, five assists per game shot at almost 39% from three and 79% from the free throw line. Really, the reason why he's not in like a tier four anymore, for example, somebody who I think could be um, potentially starter level on a really good team. I think he's more of a back end rotation guy 
really because he, he's he's tried to be a lead point guard in many different scenarios, and I just don't think he's there um, personally as a playmaker. He averaged 3.2 turnovers this year to those 4.8 assists. He doesn't necessarily rate out well in, in terms of how he handles pick-and-roll sets, whether it's scoring out of those pick-and-roll sets or passing. Um, he doesn't rate out that necessarily well in, in isolations, including passes either. You can kind of see that on the tape. He's not the best overall decision maker when you go back and watch some of his tape. He's much more comfortable as a scorer, but really when you think about his scoring attack, he's comfortable on those long jump shots, but when you get him into situations where he has to pull up for a mid-range or he's get into the paint area and he has to either take it to the basket or finish with a runner. He only finished in the 6th percentile this past year on runners and the 7th percentile finishing around the basket. So, while he's definitely gotten better at some of those longer pull-ups and some of those other catch-and-shoot shots, particularly from three, I just think that there's more value to be had elsewhere in this draft than taking David Duke, because I think David Duke's more of an off-guard. You can bring him in for some defensive intensity off of your bench, somebody who can make open jump shots, but he's not the, the level of creator that we would expect him to be by now as a junior guard um, to, to definitely play that point guard position full-time, whether that's as a starter or even in a backup lead guard type role. So that's why I have David Duke here, and I'm a lot more comfortable drafting him in like the mid to late second round and taking a flyer on him then than I am early second round, late first round at this point. Derek Alston Jr., the wing out of Boise State, Another guy who has pretty good shooting splits overall, 44% from the field, 38% from three, almost 86% from the free throw line, rated down the 83rd percentile in terms of total offense per synergy, 92nd percentile on spot-up looks, 80th percentile on cuts, and 70th percentile in transition scoring. So really, when you look at Derek Austin Jr., he's one of those more intriguing bets in the second round to take a flyer on. If you need somebody with size at the wing spot who can hit open shots and he, and you're able to create enough offense for him. He's another one of those guys. I think if he'd be much better at generating offense for himself, creating his own shot um, for, from distance, getting into better rhythm in terms of having like a little runner or a floater around the basket, uh, was able to finish better overall around the basket. Um, I, I think that he would be valued a lot higher than where I have him. And then also, if he was a lot more comfortable passing the ball and making plays for others, he doesn't necessarily rate out well in those play types either. But you, you have to value him somewhere in the second round because of, obviously, as I mentioned, his jump shooting. He was in the 73rd percentile taking jump shots overall. Um, he did rate out well enough in terms of shooting off the dribble. But again, when you get into some of those short, medium-range areas, He's not more of this complete scoring forward, which is why when you're evaluating somebody like that, and, and this is another guy who's a senior, he's older, so this is probably closer to what he's going to be in the NBA, someone who can make an NBA roster and contribute on a team, but he's someone who you want to be able to set up for on offense, not necessarily ask him to create or, or, or do more than his role would warrant. So intriguing, intriguing player to look at, mid to late second round but i'm not as high on him as i was preseason i think preseason i probably would have had him as like an early second round 
late first round target, somebody to keep an eye on, but he just didn't rate out that well enough for me at this point in the process, both looking through some of the numbers as well as going back and watching a little tape. DJ Stewart, the Duke guard. I know he definitely has some fans on giraffe Twitter as well. Um, and, and social media and social media landscapes is one of the younger players among this tier. He's only, he's the only freshman type college player in this tier. There's a few other international prospects who are obviously younger, but in terms of domestic talent, he's the youngest player among everyone else in this tier. Averaged 13 points per game, four rebounds, two assists per game. He did show that he's comfortable scoring on the ball. Not all of his playmaking metrics were bad either, but they weren't great. And I think when you're looking at DJ Stewart, he's a guy who could have really benefited from getting a little more seasoning and some reps another year in college versus going right away to the NBA to improve on some of those playmaking aspects. And the reason for that, he seems like this very ball-dominant guard who does his best when he's able to score with the ball in his hands, not necessarily being set up elsewhere to contribute offensively. And if you aren't at least what I would deem to be a good passer in situations where you primarily have the ball in your hands, then you're ripping away offensive value from your team because you're not able to make decisions for others outside of yourself effectively at the NBA level. So I think... If he would have came back to college, had a little bit more time with the keys to, to doing a lot more initiating within the offense, maybe not bringing the ball up every single offensive possession, but just getting it swung around to him, putting him in more designed sets, and then letting him sort of figure out how to better get others involved versus just constantly catching and then looking to do something for himself, be it shoot right away or, or take somebody off the dribble and then pull up the score. I think that those parts of his game are fine and there'll be things that he can learn how to do even better at the NBA level. But I think if he would have had another year in college, be able to round out his game a little more, it would have served him better. And he could, I think he could have definitely been a first round pick next year because he's fine physically um, he, he can definitely stand the pack on a little more weight, but 6'2", he actually did measure with a plus five wingspan. And I think that definitely helps him on the defensive end as well. I, I just, I, I really thought he could have been better over, better served overall going to college, but he's in the draft. So with, with the profile that I have with the reasonable expectations that I would have for him his first year in the league versus what I think he can become, I would still take him in like the middle of the second round, but I'm not not necessarily pushing to take him any earlier than that. I think he, he, he would have been much better served going back to college. Herbert Jones, Alabama forward, 6'7", with seven and a quarter wingspan. Um, lanky forward, doesn't have a lot of bulk to him, but he's one hell of a defensive playmaker and defensive dynamo, that's for sure. He's a competitive defender. Um, really 1.7 steals per game, 1.1 blocks per game. Not many players can, can have a defensive playmaking resume like that. Um, coming into the NBA, he rated out in the 90th percentile in terms of total defense as well. We, we talked about Herbert Jones on a previous podcast when we had Chuck on from, from Chucking Darts talking about some second round wings. We had him in, in, in a category with guys like Aaron Henry. And we, we took a look at Herb's game, and he's so intriguing on the offensive end. Not that he brings a ton of positives to the table, but his 
scoring profile combined with some of his playmaking profile. It's like he he recognizes when to hit somebody and stride out of um, like a design set. He can do a few things off the ball, but you take a look at his game overall. It, it's like he'll, he'll hit some jump shots off the dribble, but if you get him off the catch or you run him off a screen, like he's certainly not contributing in those areas. He's really good cutting to the basket off the ball, but the more and more I examine his game from the standpoint of if you're putting the ball in his hands where he seems like he wants to be comfortable as this creator type, this big wing creator type, how much value are you actually getting out of that? Can he finish around the basket consistently enough? If he gets caught in no man's land, somewhere in the mid-range or or I'm further out in the painted area, but I like the free throw line. Is he going to make the right pass or definitely be able to hit a shot consistently from those areas on the floor? And I don't have yeses to, to answer those questions with. I don't, I don't buy his, his strength around the basket, finishing amongst the NBA level trees. His length, he was able to get by in his length a lot in the college game. I don't have that same level of trust in him at the NBA game. So I question how efficiently he's going to be able to score, especially if he's not able to hit open catch and shoot threes with consistently with consistency, excuse me. And then it really comes down to, we know that he's probably then best billed as a defensive specialist. How much do you value a defensive specialist in today's NBA game? When you have pretty serious question marks about the overall offensive package you're going to get. So really interesting Again, defensive player, transition offense type, can can do the easy things going to the basket. Can every once in a while he hits you with an interesting pass or two, but um, do, does he have the repertoire to impact the game at the NBA level consistently on the offensive end? And that's where my question comes in. And that's why I have him as a draftable player. Don't get me wrong, but another senior, another older guy, and he wasn't able to answer all of those questions through his time in Alabama. So that's why I would have him in the, in mid to late second round territory. Ibu Baji, the Barcelona big man. Some people really love Baji. Um, 7'2", 230 pounds. Big man played 19 minutes per game for Barcelona. Uh, averaged 7 points per game, 5.7 rebounds. Shot the ball 48% from the field. Tried to show off a little bit of shooting touch. Couldn't quite get there. And I do have some question marks if he's able to go in to, to stretch the floor as his career goes on. I personally wouldn't even ask him to do that. I would have him leverage his physical tools, kind of be a garbage type guy on offense, and then be able to leverage his size, his ability to impact the game on the boards, as well as block shots and chain shots defensively. That's really what you're looking for from, from Baji. At seven foot two, is he athletic enough? to be a mobile big man, doesn't get killed in some of these drop coverages, some of these defensive play types that he has to involve himself in in the NBA nowadays. I don't think he would get killed there, and I think he could be a pretty interesting big to bring off of your bench, somebody who, even if you like drafted and stashed him for a few years and then you were able to bring him over to the States, maybe teach him a few more things about the NBA game, bring him up to speed, what kind of player do you have, albeit raw, there's still a room. There's still room to have on NBA rosters for big men of his caliber who are um, as athletic and as mobile he is for somebody who's seven feet two. And I think that's why that's the case that a lot of people make if they have him as like somebody 
who should be drafted maybe in like the early second round. They have him a little higher than I do. That's the case that they're making. Um, I just think that the, those guys that I had on my last podcast in tiers four and five, guys like um, a Charles Bassey and Nemias Keita, um, EJ Onu, I, I would rather take a flyer on some of those guys than Baji at least right now. But he's he's in this tier for a reason. There are a few international players I have here I think would be intriguing draft and stash type guys. And, and Baji fits that bill. Now, here's a guy who... I got to be honest, I apologize for for not really talking about Ja'Cory McLaughlin that much before tonight's podcast. I tweeted out when I was watching some of the G League Elite Camp stuff that McLaughlin was somebody I really wanted to see in that type of setting because his his statistical profile, his size, some of the things that I had seen on film intrigued me then. Um, but then when I didn't even deeper dive into the stats, particularly in the synergy numbers, he has one of the best statistical cases out of anybody, either in this tier, and you can make an argument, his statistical profile's up there with some guys I even have in like a tier five. Um, so he played for, for UC Santa Barbara, averaged 16 points per game, three and a half rebounds per game, five assists per game, shot 49% from the field, almost 41% from three, 83% from the line. Um, I do have some question marks about his game defensively. He only rated out in the 54th percentile in terms of total defense, but he did average a steal and a half per game. So at the very least, when you watch him play defense, he tries to stay up in somebody's grill. He tries to be competitive. He has, I wouldn't say lightning quick hands, but he has decent hands. He's able to knock the ball away. And he's an instinctual playmaker when it comes to stealing the basketball. So he might not be this this awesome stopgap type defender, somebody who I trust to go one-on-one at the guard spot and win more matchups than not. Somebody like a McKinley Wright, for example, I'll talk about a little later on in this podcast. But he does a good enough job defensively to the point where you look at some of the things he can do offensively. I really don't see many holes in his game. He had a 26 PER this past season, a 61.4 true shooting percentage. That's great for a guard. Um, rated out in the 87 percentile in terms of total offense. But listen to all of these areas that I marked as green on the spreadsheet I have in front of me in some of his synergy categories. He was rated in the 72nd percentile in isolation offense, 88th percentile in pick and roll uh, offense, scoring out of those sets as the ball handler, 87 percentile on spot up, 78th percentile off screens, 93rd percentile on cuts, 70th percentile on transition scoring. Um, some of his passing categories are up as well. He was in the 72nd percentile on all jump shots, 96th percentile on runners, 78th percentile scoring around the basket, 90th percentile on catch and shoot shots, and 73rd percentile all jump shots taken off the dribble. Those are a lot of categories offensively that McLaughlin brings more than positive value to because all of those percentiles are rated out as at least very good or better on synergy. So, you, you compare some of those stats to the, the other senior point guards that, that I've been willing to talk about and or have been high on during this process. So that's Matt Coleman and that's McKinley Wright. McLaughlin may have the more complete statistical profile in terms of offense than all of them. I, I, I really like how Matt Coleman's able to finish consistently around the basket. He's definitely the best catch and shoot player out of the three. 
but McLaughlin is <laughs> is not far behind whatsoever in the catch and shoot category, and just his profile being able to score more ways in the uh, mid range, being a more comfortable pull up jump shooter. Um, he, he he doesn't have the best command out of the three and the pick and roll, but he's certainly good enough to play out of those design sets. And when you watch him on film, there's definitely a, sen- a, a vibe and a sense of maturity and composure that you get from his game as well. So am I saying that I would take McLaughlin for sure over the other two? No, I, I've been a Matt Coleman guy this whole time, and that's probably who I would still rock with. But I do think McLaughlin deserves to be drafted, and I think he does have a home in the NBA. And I've underrated him just based on the fact that I have not mentioned him in that senior point guard conversation once this entire time. So I apologize to you, Mr. McLaughlin. Um, You definitely deserve to be in that conversation, and that's why I have you in this Tier 6 here. Like I said, you, you have a case to be in that fifth tier along with somebody like Matt, absolutely. So hats off to you, sir. Definitely wanted to make sure you got your your well-due shout-out on this podcast, and I can't wait to see what you end up doing in an NBA setting. Jason Preston, Ohio point guard, got a lot of buzz during the tournament. He let, Man, a lot of people chose Ohio in that 4-13 matchup to, to upset and, and move on in the tournament. And as the 13th seed, they did. Um, win that game and they moved on to the next round of the tournament Preston was the reason why that happened 6'4 junior guard averaged almost 16 points per game this past year seven rebounds seven assists Um, not a lot of point guards can can put up counting stats like that in terms of points rebounds and assists all rolled up in the one package 51 percent from the field 39 percent from three only 59.6 percent from the free throw line that's probably what what brought his true shooting percentage down the most otherwise i think he, he might have had a true shooting percentage over 60 percent. he clocked in at 58.3 rated out in the 70th percentile in terms of total offense 67 percentile in terms of total defense so another point guard really good design playmaker um somebody who can hit shots and rhythm he rated out in the 99th percentile in terms of spot up scoring that's really impressive but when you look at a lot of those spot up makes it kind of came out of, I wouldn't say designed movement necessarily, but Preston definitely was able to get himself in the right position to score. It wasn't a lot of um, like dribble, 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 isolation type scoring or always creating a reliable shot for himself when we're talking about how he gener- generated a lot of those shots. Because if you take a look at his isolation game, he was only in um, the 12th percentile in terms of scoring out of isolation sets. Um, he was in the ninth percentile in isolation sets, including passes. He played a lot better out of more design pick and roll sets. He wasn't a bad jump shooter or shot creator by any means. Actually finished pretty decently around the basket, 66.2%. When he got himself a full head of steam and was able to take somebody off the bounce and get all the way to the basket. But if he ever had to create something out of thin air in the mid-range or, or, or away from the basket or go to a step-back move, he never quite develop that game to a reliable enough rate obviously there's highlights on youtube his game at illinois he hit some pretty nice step back type jumpers but it was never to the point where i'd say he could do it consistently at a high enough level matter of fact he only rated out in the 15th percentile in terms of jump shots off the dribble only shot 21 percent on those shots doesn't necessarily have like a short to medium type pull up that he can go to consistently in terms of like a runner or a floater so 
I question the scoring package that he brings to the table and how much he's going to contribute generating buckets for a team. But there's no question that at the very least he deserves a shot at a backup point guard spot, running a second unit's offense, and at least being the point guard, somebody who can set up others for better looks, and then and then he's able to contribute in terms of scoring the basketball when he's able to. Not this self-creation dynamo. I don't think that somebody that some people have even projected to be like a first-round type point guard, but somebody who should absolutely. Uh, have a flyer taken on him in the second round. I think, yeah, at the very least, he's a backup point guard who can come and set the table reliably for others and, and certainly not sink your sink your team either offensively or defensively. Joe Wieskamp, Iowa forward. We've talked about him before on this podcast. Definitely did himself some favors at the NBA draft combine. Tested out well athletically. Measures out well 6'7 with a 6'11 wingspan. Um, this year for Iowa, average 15 points per game, almost seven rebounds per game, almost two assists per game, 49% for the field, 46% from three. The 67.7% mark from the free throw line definitely surprises me, but it doesn't give me enough cause to pause in terms of his overall shooting repertoire. Um, anything you're asking him to do off movement, off the catch, set shooting, he's going to be able to do all of those same things in the NBA. Certainly has enough size to shoot over defenders. The main difference here, and I've heard heard some good arguments from people, especially um, recently. Shout out to to Andy Roth, who, who follows me on Twitter. Um, he he was actually talking to me in my DMs today, and we were we were discussing Corey Kispert's case as somebody who is he definitely like a lottery level or like a mid first round type talent, or is he not the kind of player that that thrives in an NBA system? And and I think that Kispert's going to be like a really good like fifth guy in a starting lineup that I have him in like a specialist type category. That's why I had him in a tier four in my system versus a tier three, like a guaranteed one through four starter on like a really good or or a championship level team. But if you have those questions about Kispert and some of the things that he can do off the dribble or attack a closeout or hit a floater in the lane where his numbers actually said that he was not terrible. He wasn't great, but he wasn't bad. Um, If you have questions about, what he brought to the table, then you're going to have more of those questions about Wieskamp. And that's why I think this whole notion that I talked about with Tyler Rucker backcourt violation on a pod I did earlier when we were evaluating the combine, when I brought the fact of Kispert versus Wieskamp has been a popular conversation I've seen on social media. That's why like I'm not in that camp whatsoever. I'm absolutely in the camp of taking Kispert with a first round pick versus waiting to draft like Joe Wieskamp instead in the second round, wherever you would value him in the second round. I don't think that Wieskamp provides nearly as much value to an offense as Corey Kispert does, both, again, from a creation standpoint, doing anything off the dribble, even from like a passing standpoint. Um, and, and, and something that came out of the combine was because he tested so well athletically, because of the competitiveness, the fire that he played with during those scrimmages, people think he can be better defensively than he was in college. Well, he better be better defensively than he was in college. He only rated out in the 31st percentile in terms of total defense. So there are definitely some things to like about Wieskamp. I think he, like I said, he did himself some favors. I think he's definitely going to be drafted. I just don't know if I'm drafting him any higher than like a mid, using like a mid to second round pick, mid to late second round pick on him. That's probably the range that I would have him in. That's where I would feel comfortable drafting him. Yuhan Bagarin, the Paris guard, 
six foot six with a six eleven and three quarter inch wingspan. That's pretty impressive for a young guard. Um, played in France, averaged almost twelve points per game this past season, almost four rebounds, three assists, almost forty six percent shooting from the field, thirty four thirty four percent from three, and sixty one percent from the free throw line. Perfect draft and stash type guard. I think if you are drafting him, I don't know necessarily how quickly you bring him to the States. I would definitely keep letting him develop as a playmaker as well as a scorer off of the bounce. He can definitely get to the basket and give you efficient offense that way. But I think if you give if you give Bagarin a, a little more time to season overseas and then you bring him over to the States, I've heard some people call him like one of the more major sleepers in this entire draft class. I can see why some people make the case. Uh, a, a lead guard, a true lead guard, someone who I would actually bring over to play point guard in the NBA with those physical measurables. Like, there's no question that I think he should be drafted. I just don't know if he's ready for NBA competition right now, which is why I would call him, like I said, like he's one of the international guys I have on this list that I would consider more of a draft and stash type guy. But definitely worth mentioning. He makes it in my tier six. I think... Um, if he were available in like next year's draft, for example, you gave him another year to, to better season before he, he went into the draft portal. Maybe he'd be like a first round pick. I think right now I'd value him in that, that, that mid to late second round range for sure. Luca Garza, Iowa center. I've toyed with the idea of, do I have him in a tier that I would consider to be draftable? Do I not see him as a draftable big man? I think all of the questions are obviously around is he athletic enough to play in the NBA full time? If you bring him off the bring him off of your bench for 12, 16, 20 minutes a game, what what level is he going to be at athletically? Is he definitely bringing as much up and down value as he showed that he could he could do in spurts for Iowa? We know what he can do around the basket as a post score. We know that he's worked on stretching the floor um, with his three point shot. Definitely got better. Um, in terms of his shooting metrics, a lot of those numbers are actually up per synergy across the board in different shooting categories away from the basket. He seems to be in a lot better shape, and that was something that we were able to see from the NBA Draft Combine when he was interviewed, when he was doing some of his athletic testing. He's in a lot better shape um, than, than he even was in college. So hats off to, to Garza. He's definitely taken the time to get with the right people and work on his body to make sure that he's physically ready to handle um, more than just like an eight to ten minute stint in the NBA, which is what I would have projected him as. I would have projected him as that kind of big man um, coming into the NBA before I saw any of that because he 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 could be a plotter at times at, at Iowa. But I'm a lot more comfortable in his case now, seeing him post college year than I was before. So that's why I have him in a tier to be drafted in like that mid to late second round. I mean, if you're looking for a backup big man who can potentially offer you offensive value from all over the floor, I think you kind of have to look Garza's way, just given everything, all of the skill that he showed um, that he brings to the table offensively, 55% from the field, 44% from three, almost 71% from the free throw line, and he, he's improved on his free throw shooting. So highest PER, I think, in this entire draft class, 355 with a 62 true shooting percentage, and he's in the 97th percentile in, in total offense. So definitely somebody who deserves to be drafted and somebody who I would target in the mid to late second round. Macy Oteague, Baylor guard. 
Six three. Are you ready for this wingspan? Six ten and a quarter. Six three with a six ten and a quarter wingspan. Senior guard helped Baylor win that national championship. This is somebody, man. I've never understood why he's not in more people's top sixties. Why he's not somebody who's going to be drafted. I one hundred percent think that he's a draft worthy guard. And if he doesn't get drafted, somebody is going to scoop him up pretty early on in the undrafted free agency process. Um, shot 48% from the field, almost 40% from three, 83% from the free throw line, was in the 94th percentile in terms of total offense, 89th percentile in terms of total defense, 85th percentile scoring um, out of pick and roll sets as the ball handler, 89th percentile on cuts, 90th percentile on putback shots. So that's another hustle stat that shows that his length can come into play as a guard as well uh, when he's crashing the glass. And then the 94th percentile in terms of scoring out of transition has has middling to, to pretty good marks in terms of the different categories that we go through for his jump shooting as far as synergy metrics. So like, what what are his weaknesses? He's, he's not an elite athlete. Obviously, he's an older guard. Um, people question how he's going to be able to make some of those same pull-up type shots that he did in college in the NBA against NBA level defenses. But when he, when you have that much length as a guard, if you can get any kind of elevation on your jump shot, which T definitely can, you're going to be able to hit those shots at, at the next level. It's do you trust his handle? Do you trust how he sets himself up for those pull-up shots? Do you trust his catch and shoot three point shooting, which he rated out well overall. He was in the 85th percentile in catch-and-shoot shots, shooting almost 43% on those shots this past year. But we definitely saw that he, he, he can be streaky at times. There are games where he can absolutely go numb-cold. Um, and, and that's something that I don't think every evaluator has been able to get over either. So, listen, if you value older guards who can playmake for you in a pinch but are really guys who you can pull off of your bench to... Um, either spread the floor for you reliably or just go get you a bucket and a pinch, then Teague should absolutely be looked at. And like I said, I think he should be drafted. That's not the buzz that I've been getting. But even if he's not drafted, I guarantee he will be on someone's summer league roster and we'll be seeing him get a shot at, at making somebody's training camp roster as we head towards the start of next season. McCore Maker, Howard Big Man. Only played two games this past year in college. Um, so I, I didn't really feel it was necessary to, to pull any kind of numbers from those two games. I thought that what we were able to see at the draft combine kind of made his case for you. Hit some really nice turnaround fadeaway um, shots off one leg at the combine. And, and, and he, he comes from that same... Um, family that that obviously Thon came from and he was viewed as this really skilled seven footer who could do a bunch of things off the bounce hit jump shots McCore definitely seems to be in a similar mold as Thon but we, we we've seen how some of this has worked out before I don't know if, if I trust if I fully trust his mobility um, I don't know if I trust his ability to stay healthy at that size I question how much of an impact he has offensively if he's not shooting the basketball. Does he definitely have a reliable enough post-up game? We saw a few examples of that in the combine. But bottom line is I personally don't have enough information, I'll be 100% brutally honest, to properly project 
uh, McCourt, which is why I would have him in, in like this tier six, mid to late second round. Somebody who can uh, might be able to crack a rotation next year, but I'm personally not quite sure what I'm going to get out of him. I wasn't able to attend any kind of workouts or, or anything like that. I don't really have a good source for inside information um, on McCourt, so I'm going to leave him here. Anything higher or even lower than this wouldn't shock me. Um, he's just one of those guys that I have to include and mention here in this process. He's somebody who deserved to have film watched on him and deserved to have stats looked at. It was just unfortunate he didn't really get to play college basketball that, uh, really at all this year. So that just makes the evaluation process a lot harder. And unless you have the inside information, unless you're a scout with an NBA team or uh, you have a connection to one of his coaches previously, then you're not going to have a lot of really good insight and input here on his game and what he could bring to an NBA floor from day one and be able to project him out. So I'm just going to, I'm going to leave that case there. Matt Mitchell wing player out of San Diego state. Another older guy, another senior, um, 15 points per game, almost six rebounds per game, two assists per game, almost 40 for 44% from the field, 34% from three, almost 81% from the free throw line. Um, has some pick-and-roll proficiency as this 6'6 wing who can kind of make a few things happen for others out of more designed sets, but isn't necessarily a reliable off-ball scoring dynamo. I'm not quite sure what he does in terms of a pull-up game and how he effectively scores at the NBA level on a consistent basis. Doesn't necessarily rate out great in any particular shooting metric besides some of the stuff that he was able to do in a pinch off the dribble only rated out in the 19th percentile in terms of catch and shoot so i just question how much he's going to be able to impact the game offensively um and, and i would have loved to see him rate out better in terms of total defense he was only in the 58th percentile defensively and you kind of you read some things that people say about him and you think that he has a pretty good build to him, has decent size for, for again, being that 6'6 wing-type prospect. But when you watch how he handles defense both on the ball and off the ball, he definitely left me desiring a little bit more. Um, so I'm not quite sure what he brings to an NBA team right out of the gate in terms of, like, here, here are the one or two skills I definitely know you're going to be able to do reliably from day one, and they fall within responsibilities that I'm comfortable giving you in the offensive end of the floor from day one. I don't know how he wins that argument for an NBA team. Um, I've seen a few people like him. I haven't actually seen him mentioned a ton. He's somebody that I think is going to be on teams radars, whether they're drafting him or they're, they're kind of like giving him a, a camp invite or something like that. But he's not a guy that I'm particularly that high on. So I kind of have him in this tier six. Matthew Hurt, Duke forward. 6'9 with a 6'9 and a half wingspan. So not really any elite length to write home about, but he's certainly big enough at that forward spot. One of the best offensive statistical profiles that we could find in this tier or the last tier, similar to the case I made for McLaughlin, but it's like McLaughlin's case on steroids um, for, for Matt Hurt. He shot 56% from the field, 44% from three, 72% from the free throw line, 99th percentile in terms of total offense, but 
36 percentile in terms of total defense the passing numbers aren't great he he's kind of like a black hole scorer at that forward spot don't love everything he does off the dribble and how he sets himself up for those shots he just has near picture perfect shooting mechanics and and enough length and size to the point where he can kind of adjust the arc on his shots and hit some tough fadeaway jumpers or, or he can hit some shots you don't think he's going to make over a good defender just purely because of how big he is and how high and and and, and the angle at which he releases the ball in his shot um but I, I, I don't love black hole type offensive players, guys who I don't have enough confidence in their playmaking, their ability to function within an offense and, and move the ball where it needs to go. Look, if you're a team and you're just looking for somebody with his size to be able to shoot the ball for you, you know that you're going to put him in for an X amount of minutes per game and you're going to ask him, hey, ball gets kicked around with you. We're going to have you play out of the corner. Maybe we'll run something for you inside the arc every now and then. But mainly, we're going to have you outside the arc. you got to be ready off the catch. you got to be ready to rise and fire. That's all you're looking for him to do. He's one of the more elite options to do that. You're probably going to find in the second round. But he was projected as a better talent when he was coming out of high school. was viewed that he can be more of a fulcrum for a team. He was by far Duke's best offensive player this past year, but... Maybe maybe that's more of an indictment between some of Jalen Johnson's injury concerns and his, his meshing with the team, um, some of the stat, stagnant development from Wendell Moore. Obviously, DJ Stewart and Jeremy Roach weren't, weren't quite ready to step up full-time for that Duke team offensively. So you can say that he was Duke's best offensive player by a mile, but I'm not sure, given who we had around him, how much of a compliment that is. So that's why I would have uh, Matthew Hurt not that he can't take and make shots on an NBA roster. That's just, in my opinion, that's really all he can do or all that you should ask him to do. So that's why I would have him in a tier back here. McKinley Wright, Colorado guard. I, I've said like three different times now across multiple pods we we're going to talk about him eventually. Um, he's that third senior point guard. In that spot, average 15 points per game, 4.3 rebounds, 5.7 assists, um, 48% shooting from the field. Has it has never gotten around to shooting it that, that all that well from three-point range. Only shot at 30% from three-point range this past year. Did shoot at 84% from the free throw line. And a lot of his offensive metrics are all right. They're they're not anything outside of pick and roll. I wouldn't say is like that noteworthy to write home about. Um, a re really average in a lot of categories across the board. Um, does have a decent floater game when he's around the basket. And, and again, and obviously anything he does out of pick and roll offense out of design sets is generally a good option. And he's an experienced scorer, um, certainly knows how to run a team. But upside offensively elsewhere, I just don't know what I'm getting from him if he has to do anything creating for himself off the bounce. If he has to maybe play off the ball a little bit, serve as like a floor spacer at that guard spot. I just don't know how many more positives I'm getting from him. Um, now, one of the things that he does that those other two don't necessarily do, in my opinion, at a good enough level as, as him is total defense rate right on the 73rd percentile 
but I think he's even a little bit better defensively than that because of his build, because of his bulk, his competitive nature. He's one of those guys who will absolutely pick you up from half court and play that point of attack defense for you. And he had, he brings that attitude, the competitive, that fire that he does not mind bodying somebody up a little bit and making things uncomfortable for the opposing team's ball handler. So I think he certainly plays point of attack defense better than the other two senior point guards that I want to compare him to, even though he he's not quite the the the, the steals maestro that McLaughlin was at times. Um, certainly has better size and bulk to him than Matt Coleman, but I, I would rather have the offensive profiles of the other two, the more complete offensive profiles in my opinion, than, than McKinley Wright. Now, McKinley Wright, I think, is definitely going to get drafted. I think he may be the only one out of the three that gets drafted, but ironically, he's the one out of the three that I probably like the least. Um, but even if, even if for whatever reason, by some stupid reason, he wouldn't get drafted, he would still be brought into somebody's camp and he would be given an opportunity to go to work. Moses Wright, Georgia Tech forward. Richard Stamen at Mavs Draft shouted him out on one of the other podcasts that I had him on when we talked about Orlando Magic and Dallas Mavericks targets, as well as a few other guys who he thought were, were sleepers in the draft. He, he made the claim that Moses Wright is severely underrated as one of the ACC's top players last year. 17 points per game, 8 rebounds per game, 2.3 assists per game. Got 53% from the field and 41% from three, but he he doesn't really have any better of a shot creation profile outside of the more simple things that you would ask him to do. Having somebody who can space the floor at 6'9", 226 pounds, and provide you any value on the glass as well as defensively, I mean, that's, that's a player who deserves to be drafted. Don't get me wrong. But I just question how much better he can get at, at certain areas on the floor. Matter of fact, I know he rebounds really well, but he was only in the 24th percentile in terms of total defense. Um, was only in the 44th percentile in terms of spot-up scoring as well as on cuts. So he has some question marks for me between some of his shooting profiles, what he can do effectively um, away from the basket a little bit in the painted area, not necessarily right up around the basket. Um what does he do passing the basketball? Is he definitely a willing passer of the basketball? Like, what what do you bring me besides energy, hustle, and rebounding? Those are valuable tools in a vacuum, but it, we're we're kind of making the case not that Moses Wright shouldn't be drafted because he should be, but how high would you draft him? What area of the draft would you feel comfortable taking him? And if those are the things that you're going to give me and maybe some floor spacing here and there, like why wouldn't I take a shot on somebody like uh, Justin Champagny that I laid out his case for um, on our previous tiers pod? Like I would probably rather have the younger player, even though he, he doesn't have the same size as Moses Wright, I'd probably rather take a chance on somebody like him versus Moses Wright in terms of earlier in that second round. But if we're talking mid to late second round, he's definitely one of the more intriguing bets to make because I think he's he probably offers the most intriguing profile in terms of these guys who I've rated out as bigger forwards. So definitely deserves to be drafted. Just don't know if I take him any higher than like mid to late second round. 
Sandro Mamukelashvili. Yes, I finally said that guy's name right. Uh, my apologies to you, Sandro, all these times that I've butchered your name on this podcast. I, I apologize, but we've talked about him before. Somebody who's probably like in the 50s for me, if I'm drafting him, more of this theoretical point center who can do interesting things out of the pick and roll, both as an inverted ball handler, as the big in those sets, and then even as the roll man on the opposite end of those sets. Um, pretty intelligent pick and roll playmaker, somebody who can do a few things for you off the bounce, has been a streaky shooter for his college career, but does have some touch from the outside nonetheless. Not really the best finisher around the basket. We've talked about that on other podcasts. It's it's really about how much of the passing and the ball handling is real. It, it, it is projecting him as this like really interesting inverted pick and roll player more evidence than than than, than theoretical. Like, do we have enough evidence to comfortably project that him doing that at the next level? I don't fully have the answers to those questions. Um, and, and given that he's an older player, I don't know how much more, again, that he's going to develop. So that's why I would be more comfortable drafting him in the back half of the second round versus taking him, I don't know, in like the 30s, for example. And I think the, the majority of consensus boards and mocks that I've seen pretty much have him in like that, that, that 40s to 50s range. So I, I think I'm pretty much in line with, with consensus on Sandro. But... Um, definitely one of the more interesting bigs to, to take a flyer on in this draft class, no doubt about it. Brendan Watford, LSU forward, 6'9", 237 pounds, sophomore forward, 16 points per game, 7.4 rebounds per game, 2.9 assists per game. Was projected as like a top 25 guy last year as a freshman and decided to go back to college maybe with the idea that he could turn himself into a lottery pick if he showed a few more things offensively, was able to shoot it from distance better. That didn't pan out for him. He only shot 32% from three this past year, 65% from the free throw line, 63rd percentile in total offense. And you look at his physical tools and you look at some of the highlight plays that he can make defensively on block shots or making a steal in a passing lane or um, playing defense on somebody bigger than him when 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 Watford's getting back down, how does he hold himself up well in those situations? Despite some of those positives that you can see when looking back at the film, he also gets burned in a number of different areas, especially playing defense off the ball. Um, so he's not exactly this awesome toolsy defensive player that um, you would think that if he's a guy falling in like a first round category, you expect him to be able to contribute high enough in that area of the floor if he's not going to be a consistent offensive presence for you. Uh, but just does not play well enough out of different um, big forward type sets, whether that's acting as a role man, whether that's um, post-up offense, whether that's cutting to the basket, um, his efficiency and transition offense. Like he just, he, he just hasn't been consistent enough over these last two years to make me want to take him any higher than like in the mid to late second round. I get that he's young. I get that he was only a sophomore at LSU that last year. I understand that I, I've said before about some other prospects, like with Cam Thomas, for example. I haven't always loved that LSU situation and just stylistically how they play offense. But at the same time, I haven't seen enough from Watford to definitely be like, yeah, I'm going to take you in the early second round or even the late first, and I'm going to love that I made that decision. So that's kind of why I have him in this range as well. Vrenz Blyenberg, the forward out of Belgium, 
Antwerp player, draft Twitter's own, Brenz Blyenberg, fan favorite, nine and a half points per game, 5.4 rebounds per game, four assists per game. Look, I like Brenz. I would 100% draft him. I probably make the argument for him to be a draft and stash guy as well. I don't know how quickly I'd bring him over to the States. I think there's obviously some intriguing parts of his game. Listen, anybody who's like 6'10", who can handle the ball and make decisions like a point guard at times, deserves draft looks. There's absolutely no question about it. I think that he has enough room to improve his jump shot over time. I think he can definitely get better as a shooter and a floor spacer. So when we're talking about potential value that somebody like Vrenz can bring, can bring to the table, there's no doubt about it that he's an intriguing talent. Um, a little bit on the thin side, he'll, he'll keep continuing to fill out his body and work hard, and that is why I would draft Vrenz, despite how raw he can be in, in certain categories, some areas on film that I can point out for him to work on. He is a worker. He's a competitive guy, good guy. I've seen nothing but positive from him. Everybody who I talk to has actually gotten the chance to interview him um, or, or, or spend a little time with him, loves him to death. So just based on the fact that I know the type of person that he is, that gives me a lot better of a comfort level in, in drafting him and, and taking a chance on him. If, you, if, if you're willing to bet on yourself and you have that much confidence in your game and your ability to get better, that's an easy way to sell me um uh, with a case like that so i'm drafting friends probably for me i'm not as high as some other people like i i thought at some point during the year about having him as like a top 30 type guy so somebody who would definitely be in like a tier four or higher but um the more i went back and watched the more i think that he's he's not ready quite yet but give him like another year or two and he could really make an interesting case to to have um like a playmaking four type role in the NBA, which obviously the NBA is always looking for guys with size who can handle the ball and make plays for others. Last guy in tier six, Eve Pons, Tennessee forward. Doesn't really bring you a lot to the table offensively other than being a vertical lob threat, um, dunking the basketball, getting offensive rebounds and, and cleaning up on that end defensively he's one of the more unique weapons in this draft he's definitely a top five offense and in, in, uh, top five uh, athletic guy in the draft excuse me um, I don't think there's any question about that the guy is like under five percent body fat he's incredibly ripped he's vertical not not the greatest size to him for like one of those more do-it-all defensive type forwards that you would expect him to be He's only 6'7", but he does have nearly a 7'1 wingspan, so he does have um, close to a, close to like a plus 4, plus 5 wingspan. Um, man, if he could shoot the ball any better than what he showed that he was capable of doing at Tennessee, he only shot 27% from, from uh, three-point range. He would definitely be like an early, early second-round pick type for sure. Um, especially given the fact that he was in the 93rd percentile in terms of total defense. But he just doesn't offer enough for me offensively to, to be like, yeah, I can project you as like a, a definite rotation guy, like seventh or eighth man on like a really good team. He's going to be on the back end of somebody's rotation. I, think, I don't think he's going to be drafted, but I think that somebody's going to bring him into a camp and, and he's going to get some kind of deal one way or the other. 
I just don't know how much he's going to improve offensively at this point in his career, given that, again, he's a senior older player. Um, I, I don't have that level of faith that, that any other parts of his offensive game are going to magically blossom or show themselves, whether that's better shooting from the outside or whether that's any sort of shot creation off the bounce, playmaking for others. I just think he's he's very limited to being like a pick-and-roll type finisher or like a dump-off guy offensively, and then obviously you get the value on the boards and then defensively. So same as Herb Jones, another defensive specialist. How much do you value that type of guy? How much do hustle, motor, and heart and pure athleticism factor into your evaluation because those are all things that he brings to the table in spades. Eve is one of those guys. He, he, he's the eye of the beholder. He, he's one of those type of players. So that's why I have Eve Pons in this like mid to late second round type grade range. Um, wouldn't shock me if he gets drafted in the back end of the second round. Also wouldn't shock me if he doesn't get drafted at all. So now we move into tier seven. I'm not going to break down all of these guys at length. I'm, I'm going to, to, to read off their names, and, and they're definitely going to get a quote-unquote honorable mention on this podcast here. But these are the guys, if you add up the total number of players that I've mentioned in these tiers or, or decided to go back and take a look at to see if I would give them grades that I would deem as worthy of being drafted in this draft. They, they were very, very close to making the cut, and that extends that list out to 90 names. And again... I cannot say how much, how awesome it is that I have a list of 90 guys deep. Usually that list is like 75 at max, at max in a draft. I, I try and keep everything I do to a top 60 because there's 60 draft picks to be made. So I'm trying to figure out who deserves to be drafted. Not, not as much where I would draft them because again, I've never been that obsessed or tied to like a ranking system i don't necessarily care about if i had a player fifth on a board or tenth on a board or etc that's why i try and keep them in tiers in terms of how i would project their role and their potential next contract situation that's that's really how i like to to, to gauge these guys talent wise but the fact that i can i can go like 90 guys deep and before cuts were made, before guys decided to go back to school or go in the transfer portal, whatever the case may be, that list was at like 102 guys. There's so much talent coming into the NBA nowadays. And I had a conversation with, with somebody on, on Twitter today where he pointed out, yeah, a lot of people get overly excited about the amount of guys that, that are coming into the draft and that not all of them will make an impact for, for an NBA roster, be it as impactful as one might like to fantasize. Listen, that's 100% true. If we're lucky, we get maybe like 15 to 20 guys out of the entire draft class who make some sort of rotational impact, like some sort of meaningful rotational impact for an NBA team during their career. That's just like the facts. That That's what the success rates when you're making some of these picks, that's what they bear themselves out to be. That's just the truth. I like to be an optimist. I like to point out what players can bring to the table from day one, how much value they can give from day one, what they can grow into, what they can work on and improve at. I like to look at things from that end of the spectrum. But you also have to be a realist at times, and you have to understand that this is a really, really, really hard game. Very few rookies are going to succeed from day one. Everybody has their growing pains. Everybody takes their lumps. I wouldn't expect somebody to come in and be an absolute all-star in a job that's as hard as this within their first year of being in that job. It's a learning curve. It takes time. It takes experience. It takes patience. And 
I encourage all of you listening to this podcast, if you really love the game of basketball, I think that developing that level of patience for some of these guys, being more patient in your evaluations, letting these guys have a few years in the league to, to grow, get more familiar with their team, their organization, their chemistry with guys, how they fit in with that organization, with that roster, within the team construct. The key word is just patience. Let these guys figure it out. Don't be too quick to pass judgments on them. Don't be too harsh on any of these guys either. They're, the majority of them are like 19, 20-year-old kids. Some of these guys are a little older, 22, 23. I was a mess when I was anywhere between the age of 19 and 23 years old. And I know I don't play professional basketball for a living, but I'm talking about in the real world, in real-life situations, I was a mess. And I'm not making near as much money <laughs> as some of these guys are. Trust me. Um, these guys are going to get paid in their careers one way or another. They're, they're going to be able to attain livable salaries doing one of the hardest jobs that can be done which is playing professional basketball in the NBA or even in some of the other international leagues that they could go to overseas. Basketball globally has come a long way as well. So um, just don't be too harsh on these guys. Don't be too judgmental. Try and look for the positives and focus on development and outcomes for these guys and realistically project their roles to to the NBA. That's That's just me having my soapbox moment for a second. So... Uh, without further ado, let's run through let's run through this tier seven, this honorable mentions list, and then we'll get out of here. So, Ariel Hookporty, um, the the big man from Lithuania, Carlick Jones, guard out of Louisville, Delano Banton, forward out of Nebraska, Jalen Tate, Arkansas guard, Javion Hamlet, North Texas guard, Jay Huff, Virginia big man, John Petty Jr., sharpshooting guard out of Alabama, Jordan Shackle, wing out of San Diego State, Jose Alvarado, senior guard out of Georgia Tech. Marcus Garrett, guard out of Kansas. Marcus Zagorowski, guard out of Creighton. Rokas Jokubaitis, Zalgiri's guard, somebody who I think um, would definitely be be better served staying overseas for now. Um, Santi Aldama, the Loyola Maryland center, who may very well get drafted. I just don't know what kind of immediate value he's going to bring to the league quite yet. And then Scotty Lewis, wing out of Florida, been much more known as a defensive prospect, but really doesn't bring much to the table offensively that I'm comfortable projecting right now to the NBA level. And that's, that's it. That's our 90 guys that we've covered across seven tiers. Thank you again, everyone for, for listening to this podcast. It's been a blast doing all the background work, getting my tiers together for the 2021 NBA draft cycle. If you liked what you heard, if you made it all the way to the end, definitely thank you for that. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Follow us on Twitter, at DraftDeeper. So much more fun coming, even before the draft. I know we're only two weeks away, but I still have plenty of podcasts, plenty of content planned. So keep an eye out over these next two weeks for some awesome, awesome fun content related to the draft. And I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week. Again, thank you for listening.